My name is Vicki Noble, and actually the funny thing is Nate Mick, who spoke just before me, and I are co-residents from way back in the day here in Boston. So they must be picking people who didn't have a long way to travel, and I'm on to you, ASAP. I know you think we're cheap labor. <laughs> um, but I'm here to talk to you a little bit about uh, rapid-fire rethinking radiation and renal colic. And, um, you know, we're, we're thrilled to have some new evidence and some new papers that we can discuss this year. So that'll be exciting. How many people here have ultrasound in their department that they use for uh, looking at the kidneys? Okay, awesome. So this used to be kind of, you know, something I had to convince people to do, but I think now it's more just learning and, and kind of rethinking in a, in a smart way how to use this appropriately and how to use this to redu reduce radiation. So as I'm sure many of you know, the ASAP renal questions are, is there hydronephrosis, yes or no? Um, you can see at the top here on the, on the clip that the hydronephrosis is a black anechoic space that splays out the renal pelvis, and that's what we're looking for when we look at the kidneys. But no uh, renal ultrasound is complete unless you also look at the bladder, um, because every once in a while you get lucky, whoops, sorry, every once in a while you get lucky and you'll see this little tiny um, and our hyperechoic shadowing structure at the UVJ, and obviously that can really help you make the diagnosis. Um, so the next thing we're going to look at is um, the grading of hydronephrosis. And while this is not as important, um, just in terms of how you manage your patient in the emergency department, I'm going to try to convince you over the next few slides that this is kind of important for your patient and for your colleagues in terms of prognosis. And so that there is some evidence that the degree of hydronephrosis um, indicates the degree of obstruction. It's sort of logical. And so that this might be something that you want to um, kind of have a handle on. And so uh, just a minimal kind of splaying of the ureter um, is sort of on the mild hydroureter, mild hydronephrosis end, whereas when you actually have the entire renal pelvis open and you have the entire um, cortex uh, splayed open and a little bit thinned, that's something that we would call severe. And I would draw your attention to the cartoon because we'll see this in some of the clips also, that when you have a thick cortex, that implies that this is an acute process. And when you have a thin cortex, that implies that this has been going on for some time and has caused some damage to that uh, glomeruli in the renal uh, tissue. So how do we use this? We know this is one of the ASAP indications, and we know that this is something that we are training our residents to do, but how do we use it in real practice? And I think the reason that this is coming up a lot and is actually one of the more uh, useful applications in point-of-care ultrasound is there's been a tenfold increase in our CT utilization over the last um, decade or so. We're using a lot more radiation. We're using a lot more dollars. And yet we haven't really changed the practice or increased our um, accuracy in terms of making these diagnoses. And the attention that the world is placing on our use of uh, CT and our, our um, not just emergency medicine, but the entire medical profession's use of, of CAT scan is now really kind of reaching a, a critical mass. This was a great study, um, really good for Journal Club, if anybody has that, um, where it, they looked at the cancer risk of patients in Australia. They have a national health database, so they can do this. And they had 680,000 people who were exposed to one CT in their life between the ages of 1 and 19. And this is a, there's tons and tons of stats in this, but for our purposes, what they found is if you had one CT between 1996 and 2007 in uh, your first two decades of life, you had an increased uh, cancer ex in the exposure group, and the in incidence rate ratio was 1.2. 
Now, 1.2 is not a ton. It's not that you're, you know, going to get cancer for sure if you have an extra CT. But for me, I know in my life, over my 80 years, hopefully, now that I'm middle-aged, um, over my 80 years of life, I hope that I'm going to need CT scans for things that matter. So I know I may have a car wreck because I live in Boston, and so I may need that CT scan for my trauma. I know that there's a chance as a woman who has a family history of breast cancer that I may need a PECT. And so I want to save my radiation for things that matter and that things will impact my health, not things that I can be managed in another way. And so, you know, there's been a lot of attention focused on this, but I think what's important and what's going to come up in our discussion as we, as we move through these slides is that we have options here and we have choices. And so there is, there is a no imaging option. There is an ultrasound only option, but I'm going to suggest that as team players in the health practice environment, we also are helping our patients by doing some prognosis in the emergency department. And if we care about the downstream imaging that people are going to get in their outpatient setting and we want to make it more efficient, we may need to know what size the stone in is and where the stone is if they have hydronephrosis. And so if I have to choose between KUB and upright and a low-dose ureteral CT, and low-dose means the ultra-low-dose, not just the no-contrast CT, then I, I know that they're comparable in, um, in radiation, but that the low-dose CT is more accurate. I just put this flight to China just because um, from Boston you fly over the North Pole. And just for those of you from Boston, that's a lot, lot more radiation than flying around the middle, so just so you know. And then, of course, coronary CT, but I'm not going to get into all the details about what the actual radiation dose is. But just to say that we want to save our, our radiation for things we want to do and not things we can manage in another way. And so luckily we have um, evidence about this now. This was a study that was done uh, two years ago, published two years ago in the New England Journal. This was the first nationally funded multi-center trial looking at point-of-care ultrasound outcomes. And there's a lot of stuff in here, but the, the gist of this um, trial was they randomized people to the first study that patients got when they presented to the ED with renal colic. And so they um, randomized patient to CT scan, radiology performed ultrasound, and ED performed ultrasound. And then they let the clinicians do whatever they wanted to do after that. And I think that's a real life kind of scenario because we are doctors, and if you don't get the answer from the first test that you're worried about for a patient, you're going to pursue it with other tests. So I think that's fair. And what they found was there was no conferred benefit from using CT first in alternative diagnoses. So what that says to me is that we're actually pretty decent doctors in emergency medicine. If we don't get the answer we want from the first test, we're going to pursue other tests because we, we aren't happy with the, with, with the answer. But the other thing this showed was that if you do CT first for all your patients with renal colic, not only do you not diagnose appendicitis, diverticulitis, AAA, all those other things more, but you also increase the radiation exposure from your patients. So this said, again, to save the radiation for something that matters, and also think about an ultrasound-first approach for your patients with renal colic. And I'll go through some of the ED approach um, ways that I think you can use ultrasound in a smart way. So first of all, there is some evidence that we don't even need imaging in patients who we know have stones. So this was a great study from Dr. Moore out of Yale looking at just clinical factors and some lab tests. 
And what they did was they derived a stone score. And if you have a low stone score, your chance of having a kidney stone is only 9% in his cohort. But if you have a high stone score, you have a 90% chance of having a kidney stone. This is with no imaging. So there is some role for no imaging. My argument against this is that then we're not helping the patient when they go see their urologist in three days and they still have pain. But there is a role for this, and I think um, this could be something that we do. But for me, it takes two seconds while you're waiting for the hematuria, which we all know that the hardest test to get in an emergency department is the urinalysis. That will be your stumbling block no matter where you practice. And so while you're waiting for that, why not take a look with the ultrasound? Because the degree of stone size actually does um, correlate with the degree of hydronephrosis. And this has been proven in many studies. And so if I can tell the patient to some um, extent whether they're, what their um, stone size may be based on hydronephrosis, I give them some prognostic information, and I also help um, with sort of management decisions. The other thing is if, and so bigger stones equal more hydro. And what that means in terms of clinical practice is most of you can probably see that in the, um, the clip on the top, there's just some small splaying of the pelvis, while down here on the bottom, there's some thinning of some cortex, some huge amount of hydronephrosis. These are not the same patient, and you're not going to refer these patients the same way. You're not going to do other testing on these patients the same way, and you're going to treat them different. And the nice thing about ultrasound, especially ultrasound performed by you, is you'll know this within the first five minutes of, of seeing that patient. So I think that's pretty helpful. Um, and again, we'll play the clip on the top so you can see that. So who requires intervention? My, my um, feeling is that if I see this in a patient who has colic or who has known stones, this is someone I'm more worried about. They're already having damage to their cortex, and they have a high chance of having a big stone that won't pass. On the flip side, if I have a normal sonogram, so I have somebody who I know has stones or has a history of stones, and they have a normal ultrasound, these people don't get surgery. They don't get urologic intervention because they get better and they pass their stones on their own. So these patients, I probably don't need to do any further testing because I manage their symptoms, I treat them symptomatically, and symptoms don't correlate with stone size at all. And so what I can do with my ultrasound is prognosticate that these people will be fine and that they can go home without any further testing. Um, so lots of hydro, um, you can manage the symptoms and send them home, but most, a good percentage of those patients are going to need some procedure, and so you may want to do other imaging, whereas no hydro and manage their symptoms, those patients do fine, and you can send them home without further imaging. So again, stone score for diagnosis. It doesn't hurt to take a look with ultrasound, and it may give you some more prognostic information. And the intervention is not based on response to therapy, but based on the stone size. So I think what we can say is we can make all of these decisions ourselves without a ureter CT and really limit the amount of radiation we're exposing these patients to. And we all know that there's a whole literature on repeat visits for stone formers and so that we, may, we really have an obligation to think of ways to limit radiation exposure for these patients. Okay, done. Do we need to do any more? Well, in my practice I, and, and in our hospital, size does seem to matter to the urologist and to the patients. I don't really care. You know, they get better, they can go home, but some people seem to get all worked up about this. And because there is some incidence of decreased passage rate, the bigger your stone is. Now, I'll draw your attention to the fact that there are some pretty big stones, one centimeter, that pass spontaneously 27% of the time. That's a little painful to think about, but, you know, it does happen. 
But on the other hand, if you think that um, you're going to need intervention and if you don't pass the stone and you don't get follow-up right away, you can have that um, increased pressure, increased glomerulite damage, and also an increased rate of infection. So you can use the ultrasound, again, to look for hydro, um, use the stone score for diagnosis, but maybe we still need imaging to see where the stone is and see how big it is to help our colleagues and to help be a team player in the health system. So what are the options? And here, I would argue to you that this is where you really have to work with your urology and your radiology colleagues, because there are options, but I'll show you some data in a minute that we as emergency physicians don't have as much say and a voice at the table in what those options are as we should. And so I would argue that these are really the only two options for patients with known stones. An I minus CT is not a low dose ureter CT. And so you really want to negotiate that as a team with your, uh, with your radiologist and with your urologist so everyone's on the same page. And the reason for that is because when we did the STONE study and we looked at the radiation protocols and the CT protocols in 15 centers, and again, these are very academic, good teaching hospital, NIH-funded centers, the range of CT exposure that each patient had when they went off on their gurney to CT and you kind of forget about them was huge. I mean, look at these numbers. Some of these patients are getting 10, 20 millisieverts of exposure for a kidney stone. That is just not acceptable. And again, if they have painless hematuria, if you're worried about a, a tumor, yes, they need contrast and they need, um, you know, to be evaluated with a different type of protocol. But if all you care about is where the stone is and the size of the stone, they need a two millisievert, really just a quick scan that doesn't look at all the other organs, but is just identifying where the stone is and where the um, and how big it is. And so, again, I think this is just a call for us to be more aware when we send our patients off to CT what the protocols are and what the decision-making is on that end of the treatment protocol, because we don't always know. And honestly, when I went to, after this study to sit down with my radiologist, I had no idea that if they didn't get a good picture, sometimes they would go back and scan them two, three times with, without contrast so they could get a really nice picture. That doesn't matter, and that doesn't matter to the patient, and so we need to kind of be aware of that. So again, know your protocols. A low-dose CT has no IV contrast. It's a low exposure. It's somewhere in the range of a KUB. Um, it does have decreased accuracy for non-stone pathology. So again, you're doing this not in the patient you think might have appendicitis, might have diverticulitis, might have a AAA, you know, kind of like a full-shot CT. You're doing this in patients that you are sure or almost sure it has a stone, and you want to know how big it is and where it is. Um, they are harder to read, so your radiologist will grumble and, you know, just be prepared for that. Um, and this is not standard in the United States, so it's, our, it's on us to kind of advocate for this, I think. So again, what are the, the, so how do I do this? How do I use all this and put it together? If someone has symptoms consistent with, with renal colic and they have known stones, then I do an ultrasound. If I see hydronephrosis, I can consider doing a low-dose CT just to help out my colleagues and help with prognosis. I can also just send them home if I can control their symptoms. Symptoms don't correlate with the need for surgery. If they don't have hydronephrosis, that does correlate with a, with a lack of need for surgery. And so I control their symptoms and I send them home. 
If they are old and they've never had stones before, you may need to think about a CT. There's a lot of other stuff that happens to old people, and I'm not going to define old, but you guys know what that means. Um, and if they're young and they, and they have never had a history of stones, I think we can still do ultrasound. Ultrasound plus that stone score gives you a very, very high positive predictive value. And I don't think we need to do CT scans on all our first-time stone presenters. But if they have hydro, then you may want to think about doing this KUB and the low-dose CT again to help prognosticate for your um, colleagues. Now, this is, I was told that this slide is, is not very sexy and not very nice. So um, Mike Mallon and I did a Choosing Wisely podcast for ASAP, which you guys will probably get emailed to you in the mail. And apparently, um, oh, sorry, then there's no hydro and you can think about other diagnoses in the young patient. He did this much cooler, much, you know, like nicer graphics um, um, uh, algorithm, it's essentially the same thing as what I was doing, except that he doesn't feel as pressed to get the imaging to locate the size and the position of the stone um, in his setting. And again, I think it depends on your setting to setting. I would only encourage us as physicians that are seeing patients at their, at their point of care and at their first presentation that it, for me, I was told one time after I went to get a test that I needed to make an appointment and get another test in another week, and then I needed to make a third appointment and another test to see my specialist in a third week. And I think if we can help limit some of that, the patients are there anyway. They're going to come back if they have recurrent pain. And so we might as well optimize our, our time with them and really make um, it as efficient as possible. So again, these are all the same, same uh, algorithms here. Okay, but we're not just protocol driven. And so I'm going to show you a couple um, scans here just to show you what you will see as you start looking at kidneys. This is not to scare you, so don't look at these and think, oh, I'm never going to do ultrasound. What this is to show you is that these are scans and these are diagnoses that were made in our emergency department by first to fourth year residents. So they learn this in one to four years and pick up the thing that doesn't look quite like hydronephrosis. And so I just want you to, you know, think like a doctor and, um, and you can do this. I know you can. Okay. So here, this is a young man who presented to the emergency department. He had hematuria. He had some flank pain. And what do you think? Hydronephrosis, yes or no? No. And not only no, as you're fanning through, you see something kind of weird over there, right? The kidney has this strange, round, um, heterogeneous mass. <laughs> and so this is somebody, obviously, who's not going to go home uh, with their kind of diagnosis of renal colic. This is a young 30-something sort of painful but kind of moderately painless hematuria, and absolutely they get an I plus CT scan and referral. So you will see this, and, and obviously, you know, you need to know when things don't fit the, the traditional pathways. Okay, what about this? This is somebody, again, hematuria, and now we're looking at the bladder. And this is just to encourage you that uh, looking at the kidneys is fine, but I always teach our residents that they have to look at the bladder as well. And what you see is you see all this sediment down here kind of sitting right where the UVJs are. And so if you send this patient home, the chance that this clot is going to plug up their UVJ is pretty pretty high. And so again, when you have hematuria, even if it's um, as a result, this is probably a lot of hematuria and probably not the result of a stone. And so this might be someone you want, would want to bladder irrigate and see if you could get them uh, cleaned out a little bit with your, before you sent them home. What about this one? Is that a stone? No, excellent. See, 
you guys are awesome. All right, so that is not a stone, right? Stones are, are all calcium usually or all white, so they look hyperechoic. This is heterogeneous. It has little calcium bits. It's adherent to the, to the bladder wall. And sometimes if I'm not sure, I just kind of roll the patient a little bit on their side. And stones are pretty cool because they'll roll back and forth. It's also a great way to improve your Prescani score because patients love that. They think that's really awesome. But this is not a good way to improve your press. This is not something that's going to be a happy story because this is a tumor that's invading the bladder wall. And you have to know that this doesn't look like a uh, usual stone in that it's spotted calcifications and not uniform calcifications. Now, this patient does not need to be emergently seen by, you know, an I-plus scan and get a bladder washout and cytology and all that kind of stuff, but they need to be plugged into good follow-up. And so, you know, again, don't be afraid of the fact that you have to arrange follow-up but, and make that an excuse not to look. Okay, a few more. The other thing that happens sometimes is that when you see vessels and when you see um, uh, what you think might be hydroureter, a lot of times the vessels can be very prominent, and so I always put color Doppler on the pelvis, especially if it's just hydroureter that I'm looking at, to make sure there's no flow. And this is an example of no flow within that, ooh, oh. I've never had that as a question. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, now what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So you, you put Doppler over this, and um, you can then distinguish between the vessels and the hydroureter. Hydroureter should not have flow, whereas vessels should have flow. And I think I'm done, and I can ha probably ask one or two questions. I am from Boston, so you'll have to forgive me, but I just have to put this up here because... Um, because. <laughs> Any questions? I can't really see, so if you guys could turn up the lights, that would be awesome. No questions on renal colic? All right, awesome. Thank you.